0: I don't see it's true outside, it's true inside. They like put me in a box and tell me not to leave. I can't I can't move to the right or the left. Man, good to see everybody today. How are you doing? Great to see you, Heights family, here at, at our outdoor service, joining us online and haven't said this in a long time, but but welcome to our Midlothian campus. We announced uh last Sunday that we'd be doing one indoor camp uh indoor service at our midlothian campus and that was uh full within like 12 hours so we've got a service going right now nine o'clock and 11 o'clock out at midlothian so however you are here and apart with us we're sure excited that you are uh have y'all noticed that the, the, these two sundays we've been outdoors that the sunday we had worship the weather was much better than the two days prior can we just say thank you jesus now it is It is a little sunny, but the good news is i 'm in the shade so i I feel confident I can make it till at least one before I get thirsty. So we're 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 in good shape. No, I need to be in the shade because I don't I don't need any more population of freckles. Uh, I I've got all I need with me to take to heaven. So, uh, but we are uh, man, we're excited to be here today and to be outdoors and uh, just kind of not usually what I preach about restrooms, but we do have them. I, I didn't know if you noticed. You don't have to make a hike all the way to the building. We we have restrooms right right over here. uh If if maybe you just want to get in the shade somewhere for a moment, but uh we have. That going on, another quick announcement next sunday we 're going to have graduation Sunday here at the heights. We have graduates we want to let walk uh, we, we want to be able to honor them. I, I know we have already over twenty uh 2025 involves. So if you are a graduate, a high school uh, graduating from college, uh, we'd love to have you be a part of our service. You can go online and register uh, whether you're sitting here or sitting at home or Midlothian. You can go online and register for that. If you have any problem doing that, give us a call tomorrow and we'll we'll help you take care of that. So we're looking forward to that. Also, another little reminder about our church app. And especially for those of you outdoors where we don't have the screens with the pastor's notes. Because today's message is going to have a lot of notes. There's going to to be a lot up there. You, You still have those. We don't have the screens, but you do still have that. Uh, there on your phone also for our children uh, if you didn't get one on the way in or or if you're watching online you can download this we have a little sermon help I I I understand guiding a you know a seven-year-old through a pretty beefy message on revelation you know how how do I do that well we have a little sermon page that'll kind of help guide them through that and help maybe you kind of help them pay attention and learn from what we're looking at today and if if you are a young person and already have that sheet the main point today is jesus is coming to get us and we're going to meet him in the air and we're going to get a body that will never again bleed that will never again scratch that will never hurt that will never cough or sneeze that will never die can we say hallelujah that that's good news for everybody, no matter what your age is. But that that moment when that happens, young people is called the rapture, and and that is what we're talking about today is the the rapture, uh, and this is a this is an issue in theology that has. Uh, intrigued a lot of us. It is an issue in which we have a variety of ideas, a variety of interpretations. Why is the rapture? What is the rapture? When is the rapture? Now, the what and why, that's actually not so hard. The when, now that's where all the fun begins. Uh, And we really do have some very different ideas about when. And you know, interestingly, people who, who love the Lord, who love God's Word, who want to really get to a good interpretation, can still end up on some different ideas. As a matter of fact, sometimes this is where maybe those who don't appreciate the Bible as much would say, oh, there's all kinds of interpretations. You can't, you, you, you know, you can't get anything out of the Bible. Everybody takes it a different way. You know, that's not actually true. A uh, uh, tremendous bulk of the Bible is very clear and straightforward. The places where there are differences of understanding actually changes very little, uh, if anything, of what we believe. I think it's part of the mystery of this wonderful book we hold. A seven-year-old can pick it up and read it and understand almost everything it says. And the greatest minds can give a lifetime to exploring, researching, understanding, and still never get to the bottom of the well. So it, it is a great book that we hold, even with maybe various ideas. And, and, you know, as we get to these ideas, folks, here's the crazy thing. The difference between the right answer and the wrong answer, because th- th- they're not all right. They can't all be right. Some of them are wrong. But the difference between the right one and the wrong one is, is seven years. Okay. There's not a difference in interpretation on what's going to happen or when it's going to, or, or, or how it's going to happen. It's just a, a timing. So as, as I explore this today, it doesn't change what we believe. It doesn't, even the right and wrong person are not going to actually be that far apart. And when we end, you're going to see that when we end the message today, you're going to see the application. Because as we talk about these super heavenly matters, some of it may even sound like science fiction to you. As we finish talking about these really heavenly things, we're going to see how what we're looking at today has direct application not only to our personal lives, but to what we're dealing with in America in our personal lives. So let, let's see if the pastor can deliver on that by the end of the end of the message today. So my goal today is to just introduce the topic. You're not going to be able to win a debate uh, be, because you sat in today's message. You're, we're, we're not going to be able to go that deeply. I want to I introduce it to you so you know the vocabulary, you know the ideas, you know what the various views are. I am very unfairly going to spend a short time on the, on the views I don't agree with and mostly explain why they're not right. And I'm going to very unfairly spend a lot of time on the view that I do agree with. So just truth in advertising there. Okay, if, if, you, uh, if you were talking to somebody of the other view, that they probably would explain it just a tad differently than I would. But listen, I am absolutely comfortable with other people being wrong. That is, that is oh, it's okay with me. You know, I, I know what we believe. So here we go. The, the, the rapture. What is the rapture? Now, after saying all this, are you ready for this? The word rapture is not even in the Bible. I oh, Gosh, I kind of expected a little gasp. <gasps> yeah, well, and let me rephrase that. The English Bible. If you do a word search in your English Bible for the word rapture, it's not in there. The word rapture, we kind of theologically picked the word out of the Latin. And and that word is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And if you turn in your English Bible to that, it's going to say caught up. And the idea of rapture, the idea of caught up, is it is the same. The rapture is that moment when we are caught up in the air. Isn't that kind of an exciting idea to think about? We're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and, and in doing so, our bodies are going to be changed. Uh, my, my earthly mortality is going to be changed to heavenly immortality. The same time that is happening for those believers that are living when this happens, the dead in Christ are going to rise. The dead in Christ are in heaven, but, but their bodies are going to rise, and, and, and that body is going to be changed from death and decay into heavenly immortality. So that is what the rapture is. It's, it's when we get a body that's going to last forever. Or as I said a moment ago, it's when we get a body that doesn't bleed anymore, it doesn't cough anymore, it doesn't die anymore, amen? So that's that's kind of the what, what the rapture is. Let's kind of back that up with some Scripture. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians, that's in your New Testament. Go past John, Acts, Romans, and you're in 1 Corinthians. Which, as I like to say, was strategically placed right before... 2 Corinthians, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 50. You know, I've been doing pretty much all of this Revelation series long readings. Have you all noticed that? Like five minutes of the message is the reading, not today. Short readings today. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies, your translation probably says flesh and blood, Okay, that's that's our physical body, this earthly body. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they bleed and they cough and they die, right? So these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret: we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Can we say that together? We will all be transformed. One more time. We will all be transformed. I'm going to come back to that word all in just a little bit. Verse 52, "...it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies." Okay, one more passage, go to 1 Thessalonians, go to your right through 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and that there's 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. It says there now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now notice, it didn't say there, I don't want you to grieve. No, no grieving is right. It's right. To grieve, it is right to hurt when somebody you love has passed. When you're not, even if you know they're going to heaven, you still grieve that they're not with you. It, this didn't say don't grieve. It said, I don't want you to grieve like people who don't have hope. We have hope as we go through that hurt. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. There's that word that in Latin is is rapture that we get this, this term from. We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words, now, if you have your Bible open, leave it there we 're coming back to this passage two more times so what we 've got the what the, the what is the rapture it 's when our bodies are changed from from earthly mortality to heavenly immortality. That's not only a what, but that's a why. We've got to have bodies that can last forever. Bodies that can live in eternity. A second why, a second reason there is a rapture. Now, I'm kind of giving, showing my cards here of when I believe the rapture is going to take place. One of the reasons for the rapture is to get us out of here before the wrath of God falls. Amen? Amen? Amen. Do you know we need to get out of here not because our sin's not so bad? It's because God's wrath has already fallen on my sin. God's wrath has already fallen for all of those who hold to Christ, to all those who cling to His feet and hold on to Him as their only hope. Our sin is at the cross, and all of God's wrath fell at the cross. That's why what happened there is so horrific. It is the wrath of God rightly, justly falling on our sin. If somebody is not holding on to Christ, God's wrath is still coming against that sin. And that's what we're going to be studying the next several months as we walk through the tribulation. So it it is to remove us out. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. Now, as I turn you here... 1 Thessalonians 4.13, where I started reading a moment ago, all the way to chapter 5, verse 11, is one thought. It's one idea. So what was he just talking about? He was talking about the dead in Christ rising, those who are alive rising. We're going to meet the Lord in the air in this thing called the tribulation. In that context, now listen to verse 9. For God chose to save us, to rescue us, to get us out of this wrath, through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when He returns, so the salvation being talked about here is a rescue from this wrath. It is a rescue, a saving from this moment. It's all the same context. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead when He comes back or alive when He comes back, we can live with Him forever. Another good place to say amen. So therefore, encourage each other. Twice we're told to encourage each other with, with these words and, and these ideas. So we, we've got a what. what? What is the rapture? It's our body being taken up, being changed from earthly to heavenly. Why? Because we've got to have a body that can live forever. Why? To get us out of here before the wrath comes. So now we come to our third question, when? When does the rapture take place now, when I say when we 're not talking about the date and time we 're not saying you know we 're not talking about hey, the rapture is going to take place June seventh at six p m wouldn 't that be exciting i 'd vote for that anybody here i I would vote for that I would take that today that 's not what we 're talking about we 're talking about when in relation to the tribulation, and there are four different views of when this is going to happen. there is a partial a mid, a post, and a pre. You take those four words and just put them in front of the word tribulation. So you got a partial tribulation, a mid-tribulation, a post-tribulation, and a pre. So let's talk real quickly about what each of those are. We're going to give a quick definition and, and what that kind of is. And I've, I've already told you, I'm going to be more majoring on, on the view that I hold. So partial, partial tribulation means that only part of the church is going to be raptured. Some are going to be left behind. Now, if you're like me, you should be asking, well, what part's getting raptured? (laughs) Am am I in that part? It's the part that is watching for the Lord, looking for the Lord, waiting for, for the Lord. Folks, what drives this view, the verses, the ideas that drive this understanding, is all of the times Jesus tells us, all of the times the New Testament tells us, you are to be watching, you are to be ready, you are to be waiting, you're literally be relating with people, making decisions, living in light of it happening today. Do y- y'all know there's a lot of verses that suggest that? And do you know how often we completely ignore those verses? Now, we're all going to be in obedience right now because we're in a series on Revelation, right? We're, we're kind of thinking about this a lot. But let, let's be honest. If we're, not, if we're not in a Bible study or listening to a sermon series on things related to the end times, you and I can live a day, we can live a week, we can live months and not have a single thought of the Lord's return. Not one single thought the New Testament would have you and I to be guided every day by the idea that it could be tonight. And so this view actually says, hey, there's a reward for actually obeying what the Lord said. (laughs) There's a reward for living in a way that you're watching, you're waiting, you're ready. You're going to be raptured when it happens. Those of us that are living a little bit more tied into this world and what it has to offer, those of us not so strong in the Lord, you get left behind and get to go through the tribulation. You get door number two. Well, you think gosh, that's that's that that's awful. Yeah, they kind of intend for it to be awful. It's kind of a kind of motivates the preaching on on the rapture there. And and the good news is they also believe that there are multiple raptures. So that when you know, if the rapture happens tonight and I missed it cuz I wasn't really watching, wasn't really ready, Well, I'm going to kind of put two and two together tomorrow. I'm going to know what has happened. So I'm going to start getting my life right. I'm going to start getting ready. And the next, guess what? Another train is coming. And the next train to heaven, I'll be able to get on that one. And And they actually refer to people as overcomers, which is language out of revelation, language out of some of what we looked at with the the churches in chapters two and three and, and so, as I grow in the Lord during the tribulation, there will be opportunities for me to get to get raptured and and go on up to heaven. Now, the problem with this view is the idea of multiple raptures that 's just nowhere that that 's just an idea they have it 's nowhere in scripture. The biggest problem is they treat the rapture as a reward for believers, and they treat the tribulation as a discipline on immature and weak believers. Now again, that makes great motivational preaching to go home and get ready. It's just not anywhere in the Scripture. That is not the purpose. Nowhere. The purpose of the tribulation is described over and over. And it's never described as a way of disciplining believers. Oh, and there's one other little problem. It's the verse we just read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. What did it say? Whether we're dead or alive, we are... Starts with an A, ends with an L. All. Let's say it like we mean it. We are all. I mean, that, that, that one word... Listen, if there's a partial rapture, we've got to change that verse. It's got to say some, most, many, a few, a lot, but it can't say all. And yet what God said was all. This view has the least amount of proponents. It has proponents, but it, it, it's, it's probably one of the, the more minor held views. Next view, mid-tribulation, is the idea that the church will be raptured. And when we say church, we're not talking about the building. The building is going to stay right where it is when this, all this happens. This right here, <laughs> online, sitting here in the sun, this right here will be raptured up. The mid-tribulation, believes, halfway through the tribulation. Now, is there a verse that says that? Not not really. Not, Not really, but we do notice that when we go to the book of Daniel... In the Old Testament, or we go to the book of Revelation in the New Testament, there clearly is a lot of very significant things happening at the midway point. I mean, there's a lot going on with Israel, with the Antichrist, with how the world begins to worship the Antichrist. There's absolutely something significant about the midway point. And so they just said, let's put it there. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Let, let, let's put it right there. And they actually do believe that the church is being raptured before it gets really bad. And that also is true. The second half is much worse than the first half. But when I say much worse, I'm saying in, in context. The first half is worse than anything we've ever seen on this planet. We, we acknowledged yesterday world, world War II. The whole world at war, minor and small, to what the first half of the tribulation will look like. We see America right now in, in turmoil. Watch news and, and cities and, and just, just in destruction and, and fear and hurt and, and anger. Minor. I'm not saying what's happening right now is minor. I'm saying if you compared it to what's going on in the tribulation very small. There is a single event. We'll start looking at this next week. There is a single event in the first half of the tribulation where, if you take today's numbers, two billion people will die in a single moment, in a single judgment. So I wouldn't call the first half a cakewalk. I wouldn't say, hey, we can take on the first half, but Lord, come get us before the second half starts. No, the, 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 the first half is pretty bad also. You know, one of, my, one of my biggest problems with both a mid and a post, the mid and the post has the idea that the Lord's not returning yet, that, that we are going into the tribulation. Well, listen to, to 1 Thessalonians 5.3 if you still have your Bible open there. Actually, let me begin in verse 2. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. Be prepared, right? It's going to come unexpectedly. Um, I just lost my spot. Ah, Like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure. Folks, there's no way this verse is right. If you're a mid tribulation or a post tribulation, there's no possible way that the world is saying peace and safety in the middle of the tribulation or near the end of the trip. This has to be referring to a return of the Lord where everybody feels like we're just living life. It's just, it's just normal life going on here. But if you're in the mid or the post view, we're, we're living right in the middle of the worst thing this world has ever seen. Nobody is going to be saying... Peace and safety. So, a little, little bit of a problem there with that view. So, again, mid-tribulation is a, one of the more smaller held views. Most people are going to fall in a post or a pre-trib, meaning post that the church is going to go all the way through the tribulation. We're going to be here for every single bit of it. Now. Not like I did with the other two. Let me give you the strength. I disagree with that view, but let me give you the strength of the post-tribulation view. I call it a natural reading of Scripture. When we're interpreting Scripture, it should always start with, when you read it, what does it sound like? Now, I'm not saying we can come to a clear understanding by just a casual, simple reading. In, in, in every single verse, in every single issue. Sometimes you really have to connect some verses. Sometimes you really need to under well, what does that word mean? How was it used? I need to understand the history, the context. So there are always things beyond a simple reading that we need to understand. But I do believe that good interpretation always begins with, when you read it, what does it sound like? And the strength of this view is, I think when you read anything about the return of the Lord, you would not naturally pick up that there's a rapture over here, there's a second coming over here, that there are, there are various events going on. It all kind of sounds like it happens at once. That would be a more natural reading. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples say, Hey, 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 hey Jesus, when, when are you coming back? And Jesus, in a very long chapter, you could actually call Matthew 24 the cliff notes to the book of Revelation. I mean, Jesus is going to walk through the seal judgments. He's going to talk about the halfway point and the desecration of the temple. We're going to get all the way to the second coming. I mean, He can't really kind of very quickly outlines the whole thing. And nowhere in that would you pick up that there is a rapture, separate, distinct, from what we're calling the the second coming, Jesus coming all the way to the earth and and setting up his kingdom. So you, you would read that and think, boy, I really don't see that. That would be a natural reading. But then I do a little study and a research, and I understand, based on the verses we read today, that the hope Jesus gives the church is different than the hope of the Jews. Folks, the hope of the Jews throughout the Bible is the messianic kingdom. It is is the Messiah coming to the earth and setting up His kingdom. And I mean not a spiritual kingdom. I mean a ruling kingdom. A king on His throne. Israel at the top of the world. You know, that's why a lot of of Jews rejected Jesus in His first coming. They, They didn't get a spiritual kingdom and a physical kingdom. A first coming and a second coming. They didn't see the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 first coming as compared to the reigning king, the returning victorious king of Isaiah 60 to 66. They they didn't see the, the two. They just were looking for a king that's going to lead an army and, and conquer the world. So when Jesus is answering their question, when are you coming back? He is speaking to the hope that every Jew ha- has the messianic kingdom. And in that context, they're there 's not going to be a hey, let me talk to you about the hope of the church now there are jews a part of the there 's Jews today a part of the church they 're called messianic Jews they do accept Jesus as their Messiah. they would be raptured, but lost israel Messiah rejecting Israel. their hope is the coming of the messiah so it 's in that context that Jesus answers. Their question. So in, in, in that situation, I, you know, I understand exactly why he's not going to refer to a rapture. Now, pre-trib. Let, let me get there and we're, we're kind of moving. I know we're getting sunbaked. I'm, I'm moving toward the end. I didn't say it was the end. Uh, but we're moving that direction. Pre-trib. Now, folks, I'm going to give you two lists here. A list of three and then, and a list of seven. And the list of seven I'm going to go through pretty quickly. But, The the first three is the nature of the tribulation, what it's about. And the the second set of seven is the nature of the church and why this would not lend to anything but a pre-trib view. Folks, the purpose of the tribulation is God's wrath falling on a Messiah-rejecting Israel and a Christ-rejecting world and all of the evil that has flowed out of us never laying hold of Christ. Never laying hold of God's answer for us. The the entire definition and purpose of it absolutely runs counter to who and what the church is. First list of three. The tribulation is called, and, and by the way, if you're looking at your list or we'll look at it, there's scripture with these points. The tribulation is called Jacob's trouble. You know who Jacob is? Uh, Jake, Jacob is one of those fathers of israel god 's going to take Jacob and rename him Israel, of which the nation will be named out of it 's called it, it 's called jacob's trouble so so the whole point of it all of the verses about the tribulation have direct impact on what it is to be a Jew in this world, what it means to be a receiver of God's promises and the Messiah, where it's not about the church. You don't find churches where it's about the church. Interesting thing, fun observation. In Revelation, the word church is used 20 times. Would you consider that a lot? I mean, it's only 22 chapters long. 20 times John sees, remember we said last week, John, over and over and over, his language is, I saw, I saw, I saw. What are we reading in Revelation? What John saw. 20 times he uses the word church, okay? So does John know the word church? Yeah. Is he using the word church? Is it in the context of Revelation? Yeah. Okay, so you're tracking with me. Revelation 6-18. through 18. Which is the the body of material on the tribulation. It is the most detailed body of information about the tribulation in the whole Bible. Guess how many times the word church is used in Revelation 6 through 18? We already know it's used 20 times in the whole book, but of chapter 6 through 18, guess how many times it's used? Zero. What is John recording? What I saw. And he's using the word church over and over and over. But when he's talking about the tribulation, he doesn't use it one time. Why? Because he doesn't see the church there. It, it, it's just not there. I, I mean, you can't record something uh, that, that, that is not there. That would be a very strange omission. Omission. To have the church in the presence of all this and nowhere refer to it. Do you remember, uh, this was when we were all at home watching on, on TV or on the screen, um, when I introduced Revelation. I said, one of the things difficult to understand about Revelation is you're, you're moving chronologically and then you stop and get supplemental information. And, and then you pick up and you move chronologically and then you stop and get supplemental information. Well, the problem is the reader is not always getting a clue that, hey, I've stopped the chronology and now I'm just giving information. And, and, and sometimes that information goes backwards, it goes forwards, it stays right where it is. And that's where when we're reading it, we can kind of get lost in where we're at. A lot of that supplemental information, as a matter of fact, all of the supplemental information is on the character's of the tribulation. We're going to stop and learn about the Antichrist. We're going to stop and learn about Babylon. We're going to stop and learn about the two witnesses. We're going to stop and learn about the 144,000. What is all this supplement, supplemental information? It's giving us background on the characters involved in the great tribulation. And nowhere is the word church used. So it's, 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 it's not there. Uh, the focus of Satan... Revelation chapter 12, he is full on in his crosshairs is the woman. And if you go to Revelation 12, you'll see the woman is symbolic of the nation of of Israel. Satan's full focus is on Israel. Folks, the only way he would put his full focus on Israel is if the church wasn't here. If the church is here, we're in his crosshairs. When the church is lifted up and out, then he is full focus on Israel. And Revelation 12 actually details that for us, Okay, our second set of seven. Move through these kind of quickly. First of all, and, I, and I'm being a little bit repetitive here, but just to kind of keep it in a list. Uh, the focus of the tribulation is on those who've rejected Christ, those who've rejected the Messiah. Th- that's not us. Our, our sin has been atoned for. God's wrath has fallen on our sin. That happened at the cross. Number two, we're promised deliverance. We, we I showed you one verse, Revelation 3.10. We looked at that a while back. That promises deliverance from that. Number three, the Scriptures urge for you and me to constantly be expecting the return of the Lord. Well, if the rapture happened midway through or at the end, then I wouldn't be looking for the return of the Lord today. I'd be looking for the start of the tribulation. The only way I can be looking for something is if it's next on the agenda. And for the church, not the world, but for the church, the next thing on the agenda for you and I is the rapture. The entire call to to focus on on that points us toward that. Otherwise, we'd be looking for signs of the tribulation. Uh, Number four, why would the church be looking or looking toward this with, with hope. You, you know, it, it tells us to have hope. You know, I do hope in the Lord's return, but if i got to go through seven years of the worst hell ever, you know, I might brace and ask the Lord to make me courageous and strong and have faith, but I wouldn't have hope in that, would you? Would your great hope be the seven years of tribulation that you're going to go? No, but what is God constantly encouraging in the church? Our hope is, is in the, the, the rapture. Uh, the church is seen, I referred to this last week, the church is already seen in heaven in Revelation chapter 4. When you have the elders, you have the white robes, uh, you have the crowns. There's not a, Listen, when you die, if you die today, you're going to heaven. You're going to be in paradise. You're going to be with God. But you don't get your rewards yet. The judgment does not happen yet. The church goes through the judgment all together. We get our rewards all together. And the believers, there are clearly believers there singing the song of redemption. The believers in Revelation 4 already have their rewards. So it appears to me that the church is already in in heaven. Um n- number 7. And and this is a question I probably really shouldn't have put it in the list because it doesn't really prove or disprove anything. But w- why? Why would God have one set of believers go through the tribulation while the other let, let's say it happened tonight. Uh, you, you know, it started the tribulation. Why would he have us to go through the tribulation When 2000 years of believers before us got to escape that through death, because, folks, you will want to escape the tribulation through death. As a matter of fact, we're going to see at least twice in Revelation where people are trying to take their own lives because they cannot handle what is going on and they can't die. And they die when God determines they die, nobody will be able to take their own life to, to be able to escape that. So that's how bad this is. Now, what, the reason I said I really shouldn't have put that in the list, folks, God can do what he wants. And if God wants us to go through it, then he will be proved just and right and good for having a group of, of Christians go through that. And there will be a group of Christians go through that. They will be people who became believers during the tribulation, so this is my last one. It's a it's a big reason for me uh, of why I believe in a in a pre trib. It might sound kind of small, but it, I actually think it's kind of big. On day one of the tribulation, tribulation there's no un, uh, uh, there's no believers on planet Earth, right? Because we've all been raptured. You you're tracking with me? We go through the tribulation, mass mass death. Every day, all the way through for seven straight years till we get to Armageddon and the second coming. And then we have Jesus reigning in Jerusalem. We have day one of his millennial reign. On that day, on day one, there are no unbelievers on the planet. They've all died through the judgments. Are you still with me? During the millennial reign, the earth will be repopulated. Who's going to repopulate it if all of the believers were raptured the day before, you remember what Jesus said about about marriage and and making babies in heaven that 's not going to happen in our new bodies, and we all kind of freak out do you mean i 'm not going to know my husband my wife i 'm not that 's not what jesus said it, Jesus is referring to one of the primary purposes of marriage is procreation and when our earthly bodies change from mortality to immortality we don't procreate anymore we're not going to keep having babies and and populating when when we get to heaven so if everybody if every believer dead and alive was raised on the last day of the tribulation then who's left to repopulate the earth In the millennial kingdom. Because people are marrying, living life, having... Who would be doing that? By the way, the post-tribulation has absolutely no answer for that. No, no no answer at all. No no comeback to that question. It's only a pre-tribulational view that allows for that. People become believers. Most people who become believers during the tribulation will die. They'll be beheaded at the hands of the Antichrist. It will be awful to be a believer on this earth during the tribulation. It'll be awful to be anybody on this earth during the tribulation. But there will be some who survive, and they will be the ones who survive who repopulates. So to me, it takes work to get there. And, that, and that's okay. This book is worthy of more than just a casual reading, isn't it? That This book is worthy of time and effort to really understand and, and connect all that God has said. And in that case, it is very clear to me that the church is going to be raptured before the seven years starts. Now, what I don't know is, does if if we're raptured tonight, does the tribulation start tomorrow? Does it start next week? Does it start after Labor Day? I don't know the exact timing, but the the rapture will kick off this time period. And can you imagine how the rapture absolutely would kick that off? I mean, you, you imagine, folks. I mean, I think a conservative estimate would be something like one out of seven people today on the earth is a Christ follower. What happens to the world when they wake up tomorrow and one out of seven people are gone? I I, I mean, it is going it, that that will begin the turmoil that will begin the chaos. Part of the judgment is God's removal. The, the, the scripture even speaks when we're removed, the Holy Spirit is removed because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit does not live in the building, right? We're the building. The Holy Spirit lives in us. This world doesn't grasp and understand the peace and the blessing that is here because we are here. And when we are lifted up and out, there is nothing to hold Satan at bay. Now, let's think about this as we now try to apply this to to where we are right now. So, you know, I said a moment ago, I gave you four views there. Three of them are wrong. Only one of them can be right. I'm sure it's mine, but maybe I'm wrong. Only one of the views is right. But remember, the difference between right and wrong is just seven years. Nobody's debating that this is going to happen. Okay, so right and wrong, it, it's just seven years. Now, I'm, I'm thinking think of all the people. Oh, you can't trust Bible. There's all kinds of interpretations. Do you realize how whatever view you hold, however you interpret it, whatever you and I are to do with this today is exactly the same. Whatever view you hold about this, what you and I are to do with it is exactly the same. We're given two applications of this. Number one, we're to encourage one another. Have you ever encouraged somebody with the hope of the rapture? Probably not. And if you haven't, you've been disobedient. Because as a follower of Christ, this is a way we we think about when somebody's just died, right? Folks, there's a hope in this when we look at what's going on in our world. You, you know, whatever view, whatever side you're on, however you understand what is happening with social injustice, with, with what's going on in our, in our black community, and, and there's views, right? There's different opinions. But you know, as believers, with hope, we don't ever quit. You know, sometimes you can get so frustrated and think, you know, there, there is no answer. Nothing ever gets better. Nothing's ever going to solve this. And without hope, you quit do you realize you and I never have a reason to quit because we always have hope? And because we always have hope, we always have a reason to encourage each other with the hope that, hey, no matter how bad it gets and no matter how frustrating it is to make this right, hey, one day Jesus has come back, we're going to meet Him in the air and it will get right. And evil will be stopped. That's the encouragement that we use with this. And you know what? Let's be honest. We really don't encourage each other with this. The second application, doesn't matter where you're partial, mid, post, pre, you're to be ready. That's why this information is given to us. That's why the entirety of the revelation is given to us. So that when we leave here, we start thinking, hey, if this happened tonight, am I ready? What does it mean to be ready? First and foremost, it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? If you're not a follower of Christ then you're not ready, period. No matter what else you are doing in your life, in your world, you're not ready. You will be heading head-on into the full wrath of God like this world has never seen. But being ready also would mean making people around me ready. Right? Being ready would mean if He comes back, He's going to find me doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right now in your own mind... You look back yesterday. You look back at the past week. Think of the throne that we saw last week. Think of that that vision of heaven. You know, I walked off the stage last week and as soon as I got about right there, I turned around and looked at Dale and thought I didn't didn't do an invitation. (laughs) You know why I didn't do an invitation last week? I was so caught up. (laughs) No pun intended. I was so emotional and caught up at the peak we got. You know, that sounds weird. It sounds like I just say I was so moved by my own sermon. (laughs) I was so moved by us looking into heaven last week. When we finished, I just forgot where I was. Think of that throne. Think of the awesomeness. Now think of yourself standing there having lived yesterday. Think of yourself standing before that view, that vision, that throne room we saw last week. Having lived this past week. Now just think through. Is there anything you would have done differently? Knowing that I'm getting ready to walk into that room and stand before that God. Is there anything I would have said differently? Would I have decided differently? Would I have spent saved differently? Would I have decided differently? Anybody I'd want to go say I'm sorry to? Anybody I'd want to go Forgive? If I'm getting ready to walk into that room, is there anything different about this past week? Now, all those questions are about my personal life, but then there's the world that I live in. Folks, God has you here for a reason. You're not randomly living in 2020. You were put here in 2020. You were put here in Richmond, Virginia in 2020. What's going on in our world? You and I are stewards of that. We're managers of that. You know, we all have an opinion about what's going on. Could I just suggest that when you walk into that room, every opinion is absolutely worthless. Any opinion that leads to inactivity, that leads to nothingness. You know, when I follow my Savior, because that's what we are, Christ followers, right? If I'm actually following Christ, if I'm walking with Him down the road and through this interaction and that interaction, you know what I know? Jesus' heart is always moved by people that are hurting he doesn't stop to, to, to debate why they're hurting or how that happened. If people are hurting, he hurts. If there's something that can be done, he does it. I don't want to go into the throne room and explain why I didn't need to do anything. I don't, I don't want to go into the throne room and explain, well, there's nothing going on here. It's all media driven anyway. That, does that sound prepared to you? Does that sound like, hey, this is what I'm going to say when I get to the throne room and I'm going to address the hurt and pain in our world, the racism in our world. When I'm going to address that I have black brothers and sisters that are crying and hurting, am I going to explain to God why they really didn't have a reason to cry and hurt and it was, it was all based on, on, on lies? Does that sound like being prepared? I mean, folks, when we open the word of God, it applies to wherever we're living right here and right now. I I didn't just randomly think I'm going to I'm going to pick something about riots and and racism and talk about that. Every time we open to the word of God, it speaks to right where we are. When we go to the passages that would seem most far from us right now, thinking about heavenly things and people rising up in the air and our bodies are being changed, I am confident there's somebody here right now or or watching that thinks, man, this is as silly as, as, as science fiction and fairy tales. And yet what I would submit to you is these very verses that guide every word out of my mouth this week that guide what I do and what I don't do and how I respond to a world. Folks, the gospel means there's healing. The gospel means there's hope. Which means as a follower of Christ, I'm looking for the places where there's no hope. I'm looking for the places where the hurt is the worst. Because I carry the answer. It seems to me that's like what would really be prepared If he were to come tonight. What do you think it means for you? If He comes tonight, you know that the, only the pre-tribulational view can really hold on to that imminent return and say Jesus could come back tonight. All the other views, He can't come back tonight because we're not started the tribulation, we're not in the middle of it. But the pre-tribulation, the church rises. And I, and I believe probably a lot of us, probably the majority of us in this context, do believe the church is going to be raptured, which means He could come tonight. Have you ever done anything hard for the Lord? Because you really believed it might be tonight. If we never do, then let's stop saying we believe in the return of the Lord. And let's just live for today. Because having a belief that doesn't actually affect the hardest things going on in my life and a belief that does not affect the hardest things going on in our world is an absolutely meaningless belief. All you have then is fairy tales. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much in a world where people I love die. In a world where we hurt each other. In a world where we treat each other so wrong. God, in a world where, where justice for anybody can sometimes be fleeting and difficult to arrive at. In a world that we, that we, we not only have different opinions, we, we hate each other for those different opinions. In a world where we will strike down our brother. Oh God, I'm thankful that you give us a vision that there's something more. There's something better. This is not the final say. This is not the final chapter. God, thank you for hope. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for eternal life, for healing and for help. And as your followers, may we live like you're coming back. May it literally guide every word out of our mouth, every action in our hands. May it guide who and what we are in this week ahead and every week. And even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.